0: Alrighty, so week two, which we're just doing at the same time because first week of the new year is always hella busy. (laughs) So we finished up with Captain America, the first Avenger, and week two we're actually going to start off with the Ant-Man prelude comic, which would have been better to talk about uh, in the space of everything else, but since it's still fresh in our minds and can be listened to together. uh, Might as well touch on it, because it takes place in between uh, the events of Captain America, the first Avenger, and the events of Iron Man. So, uh... When I was talking about Captain America First Vengeance, the... um... comic, and said that I wish there was more as important as this, this is kind of what I was thinking about. Like, this... I found this comic to be really awesome. Um for how, I think it was like two issues or something. Agreed. Um, because when they announced Ant-Man, which is hilarious, because when when they first started making these new, uh, Marvel movies, they had Iron Man, uh, Incredible Hulk, and Ant-Man announced, and they were working on logos and stuff for it, and naturally Iron Man and, and, uh, Incredible Hulk came out, but it took ages for Ant-Man to come out. It didn't even make it into... uh, I think it was... Was it technically Phase 3? No, it's the last movie of Phase 2, Ant-Man. Right, right. But I think they were going to do it in Phase... I think it would have made more
1: sense to put it in Phase 3, just because, like, it's... I think Phase 2 would have made more sense closing it with Age of Ultron and then starting Phase 3 with Ant-Man and then going through... And then it was Civil War... Yeah. And then Doc Strange and um, like Homecoming and Ragnarok, I think would have fit more, but um, yeah, they, they put it at the end, it's the very last movie of Phase 2.
0: Yeah, which, which I thought was weird because, uh, as you said, ending on an Avengers film would have made more sense. Exactly. But that's how they decided to do it. Um, so the crazy thing when that came out is that they're like, Ant Man is going to be Scott Lang, which was not ideal for really hardcore fans because the original Ant Man is Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. And Scott Lang is the second um but his story is just a lot more interesting um and especially since uh they were originally planning having uh, Edgar Wright uh direct it, it made a lot more sense for him. Um so as we'll talk about more in that, the original Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man is still, in the movie, he's just a little past his prime. So, in the Ant-Man prelude, you see everything you've always wanted from Hank Pym. You get to see him wear the suit, and uh, you get to see him kick some ass. And he refuses to let anyone else use the suit. Which, to Howard Stark's dismay, um, he doesn't budge on. So he's putting himself as an agent in the field even though that's not really his area of expertise but it's his technology no one else is going to be using it Yeah. so there's not too much we get from this aside from just a really fun story um, but we get to see Hank Pym a little younger and in action we get to see Howard Stark and his relationship which is touched on in that movie and you get to see Peggy Car- Carter trying to teach Hank to use a gun which is great
1: <laughs> um, well yeah that's what I like about uh, one thing it's, it's seeing kind of between, you know, 1945 and, and, oh, I guess 1947, including Agent Carter, and now this is the mid-1980s, you don't actually get to see a whole lot of how S.H.I.E.L.D. operates kind of pre-Avengers. So it's kind of interesting seeing, like, seeing them working together and seeing Pym work with uh, work with Stark and, you know, two brilliant, brilliant men trying, you know, having to work in the same organization. Then you also have Agent Carter there. So it's cool seeing S.H.I.E.L.D. in its heyday, which you don't get to see a lot of before the Avengers.
0: Absolutely. And we still got Hydra kicking around, uh, doing some brainwashing experiments. Sounds about right. Uh you get to see Hank Pym flying on an ant in Berlin, which is pretty cool. Um and yeah, like like you said, most importantly, we get to see some uh how Shield work when Howard was still around and uh more Peggy because we can always use more Peggy.
1: Exactly. That's what I liked about the uh, Man two with the uh the movie like the very, the intro when you when you get to see uh Stark and and Peggy and older Peggy and uh and the, the the fight that they have over and how how much Pim believes that the suit would be dangerous if he wasn't the only one who had access to it which you know as we find out throughout ant man is a sound theory it makes sense
0: absolutely um so yeah that that scene is literally the crux of the of the comic they're like what if we just did a behind the scenes of that or like a spin-off of that that one scene and we get to see more hank pym um only regret is they didn't touch on uh on janet van dyne there the uh, the original yeah i was wasp. hoping for the
1: same i wanted to see that too but that's probably intentional probably just to you know leave more room to tell her story i i think they're gonna tell a bit more of her story in uh ant-man and the wasp
0: yeah yeah i was hoping um I'm also, I feel like that comic might have came out before, because it's, it's called the Ant-Man prelude, so it might have came out before the Ant-Man movie. It did. Okay, so spoilers for, for, for Janet being in it at all, if they had touched on that in the movie. So, I guess, yeah, intentional, like you said um so yeah then we fast forward a couple however many years
1: about 20 years to uh so yeah that's what's interesting and in that time period we've covered we went from the 40s to the 80s and right to 2008 so there's not a whole lot of mcu content pre-2008 pre-iron man
0: yeah so uh um as i i forgot to mention in the last uh podcast um Captain America got four stars from me as well yes. um, this one I originally went with four and a half and keep kind of settling on five stars with and I'm not really sure where I I fall on that anymore like there's just so many things about it every time I watch it that make me want to say five star but I also wonder if it's not missing that 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 extra little bit that really makes it a five star movie
1: Agreed. I gave it four and a half, but I would have no issue with giving it, uh, giving it five. As we've talked about before, when you're rating Marvel movies, because there's so many of them, you have to kind of scale it together. So, like, you know, a five star MCU movie to me is, you know, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, like Ragnarok, like the really, really like top in the original Avengers, of course, the really top of the top MCU movies. And Iron Man is the one that kicked it off. It's an amazing movie, super well done, still holds up today. But I I don't think it's on the same level as those other movies, which is why it gets a four and a half, which is still a 9 out of 10, which is still a glowing review. But uh, mostly due to, not that I don't like Stain, he's got his interesting, he just he's kind of like the MCU, kind of one of their issues is with villains, I, I think, just like sometimes not having the most interesting, and while Stain does have his moments, I don't think he has that five star villain aspect that I was looking for.
0: Absolutely. Um I just realized now we skipped over the Agent Carter short.
1: <laughs> oh, I would loop that into the uh the TV show. I well, it's up to you, but I think we could loop that into the TV show. Like I don't think I don't, we we can discuss it, but
0: uh let's let's just say it's just a great precursor to the show and yeah, leave it at that. Um Damn, forgot about that one. Um yeah, let's let's call that with the show, yeah. uh, I, Iron Man. So sorry, what 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 we were just uh, uh, gelling on there. Um, I I agree, but on the other hand, uh, I feel like because it's a sliding scale, you kind of have to take into into to mind what happens and what the movies mean when they come out. So for example. Guardians of the Galaxy stand alone, five star movie, in the MCU, still a five star movie because it just it did so much. It had a great feel to it, um, and it, it was it it felt like it wasn't even part of the MCU, but still tied in, which was great. Guardians of the Galaxy two, if we don't think of the MCU and we don't think of the original, I mean, I could maybe see someone arguing it for being a five star, but I think seeing how it ties in and compares to the last movie, it's more of a four and a half for me.
1: Which is I think what I gave it, yeah.
0: Yeah, which which I agree with. Uh, so, so the thing with Iron Man is that just kind of it was the first one in publication order that really sold it for me and how it holds up still and just all of the stuff that it did and I, I don't know, I mean I think it I've, I've really come to take for granted just how amazing them doing the suit is. They've they've yeah. mastered it now, but, like, there's, there's a couple scenes when he's putting on the suit where you can just see what an issue it is from a CGI point of view. And maybe, you know, Tony's head looks a little awkward sticking out of it when it's s- surrounding him. But the scenes, whenever he's using it, are just stellar, and they hold up really well. And I think first time seeing that movie just really blew my mind and it, I don't know the more I watch it the more I appreciate it and I think uh, hits five star for me because of that
1: well not to get too far ahead of ourselves one of the things that I, I do really like about Iron Man through the series is seeing the development of his suits like in the first movie he has the you know the propulsors that come out of his hands so he's kind of always standing there like having to keep his hands in play and it's just him with the one suit and as time goes on he develops the Iron Legion he he becomes like his own, you know, the suits become where they can just come out of the sky and attach to him. So I think that's one of the nice little touches is seeing the suits develop throughout the movies. But that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, so we'll save we, that for another time.
0: We should be good for this podcast, because there's not a ton to, to go on about. But I am going to take up a lot of time talking about all the different marks of the Iron Man suit. Because I'd they're... be disappointed if you didn't they're amazing and looking and the more I research about it the more into it I get even as a Spider-Man fan I've been obsessed with all of his suits so whenever I mean any any video game where you play as a superhero like Ultimate Alliance or stuff like that and you have alternate costumes I'm
1: sold. You should always have <laughs> alternate costumes because there's Agreed. so many
0: get different looks from different characters and different suits that do different things uh, just awesome just, just really awesome stuff um so yeah, we we get a the the Iron Man origin story, which is uh, um. Uh, my girlfriend Cheryl was was asking me uh, if it was how it went in the comics because she's seen every MCU movie with me, but doesn't have like any comic knowledge of anything except for the stuff I blather on about. Um, and yeah, it's it's pretty dead on. Uh, they they do a really good job. Um, Taking a really dated story, Iron Man villains are almost entirely Russian as. or, or communist as all. Um, uh, Silver Age villains tend to be, whether they were, you know, from communist Russia or communist China. Uh, a huge thing. And I forget what. So, so you know history a little better than me. Nineteen sixty-three, uh, U.S. Um, you know, uh, war front. What's what's happening?
1: Nineteen sixty-three. Uh, you'd be just fresh out of the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think that was sixty-two. Um, that was when they had the the standoff with Russia, and Kennedy delivered his big speech. So you're right in the thick of like Cold War. Like people are learning how to hide under your desks if a nuke is gonna come you're basically right in the thick of of anti-russia propaganda this is where james bond is coming up to his first movie came in in 62 and all his villains are you know russian communists like bad 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 people um so yeah you're right in the opening moments of the cold war essentially
0: so i forget where the, the his origin story takes place because in my uh my silver age uh blog posts i i haven't started 63 yet um but he's he's somewhere... I want to say it's like Vietnam or something like that, but that's like way later.
1: Yeah, Vietnam would be a bit later. Vietnam was like... It started in like the mid-60s. Or no, it might have been, maybe by 63 it might have been in full swing. But... Uh, oh yeah, no, no. Vietnam was going on since uh, since 55. So the, like, I, the war, as we know it, wasn't until the late 60s, but the Vietnam conflict started earlier than that. So there definitely would have been some Vietnam influenced to what you were uh, reading
0: so I think I think that's where it takes place uh, I could be wrong um, not really important the the important thing is that they they modernized it um, and set it in Afghanistan and we've got you know uh, terrorist groups and, and all sorts of stuff going on in the Middle East there and that that plays into this same same thing he gets shrapnel from uh, a bomb stuck in his heart and um, and I think it's really important to note that, and, and and I haven't actually really picked up on this until I watched it this time, and was really kind of trying to disassemble, um, pun pun intended, Avengers pun intended, uh, <laughs> disassemble the uh, Iron Man and, and Tony Stark as a character, but it's his own Jericho missile that that blows up, or you no, know, it's not the Jericho. Jericho's too big, but it's it's one of his um, missiles. Uh, that that blows up and puts shrapnel in his own heart. And I think that's really important to his transformation as a character, is that the weapons that he's selling, he's disconnected himself from, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's like, ah, peace, love peace, you know, I wouldn't have a job with peace, but then when he's at the forefront of it and it's affected him, he's, you know got this condition now from his own weaponry and that really changes his perspective on it so well that sets up his
1: arc throughout the rest of the series he gets away from uh from building weapons like you know profiteering off of them and it, like that moment really sets up his arc throughout the entirety of the mcu i think yeah
0: absolutely absolutely um so that's that's a really uh a really uh, interesting point um I mean, I guess I guess we can talk about uh, actors and directors. I, I suppose it's probably best to start off with that before we get too into it. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. the the most iconic um, MCU actor out of out of all of them, you know, like we, outside
1: of uh, John Favreau's Happy Hogan, I, I gotta agree. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely,
0: uh, he he just killed it, and you know, just really brought Tony Stark to. Uh, a different, um, a different status than you really had. I mean, in, in, he was a key member and founder of the Avengers, and he's really been, you know, important. But he's he's turned into an A list uh, superhero that he doesn't wasn't really to that degree before.
1: Um, yeah, I remember we went to go see Iron Man together in two thousand eight, and like I knew who Iron Man was. I you know I had a familiar, like, you, you know the name Iron Man. Like I knew his basic rounds, but he wasn't like the same character he is now, 10 years later, in 2018. Like, he was was on the same level as, like, Spider-Man or, you know, like, people that that, that would instantly be, like, necessarily recognized. And, like, and I think a lot of that had to do with how Robert Downey Jr. portrayed him. Like, that has to be their most pitch-perfect casting. And this was Robert Downey Jr. in 2008. This was when he, you know, was just starting to get back into acting after, you know, he had done Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and a few other movies. But this is after his drug-addled, like, eight times. And he really took that and turned this into, like, a, just an iconic performance. Like, as we both said many times, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. Like, who the hell would you recast Tony Stark as? I can't think of a single person. He is the charisma, the humor, and he, RDJ also plays him very, like, in his moments of weakness, he plays that really, really well at his lowest times, too. He really runs the gamut of emotions from from Tony.
0: Yeah, and he really changed uh, him as a character, because um, it's not really the same... Tony Stark, we see from the comics, and I think Tony Stark as a character has maybe changed a little bit um, in reaction to this. But the MCU Tony Stark overall is a different, way quicker, way wittier uh,
1: Tony, and I, I dig it. And that's probably because Robert Downey Jr. is like you've seen him in other movies. too. like that is he, he does seem like he'd be like a witty guy. And I'm sure they adapted a lot of a lot of his mannerisms into it, and that's uh, to do with. Director John Favreau, who of all people responsible for kicking off the MCU, I would not have thought it would be him, but not that I don't like him or anything, I think he's actually pretty awesome, but it's just, I would not have pictured John Favreau kind of being the reason we're sitting here talking about every movie in the MCU 10 years later.
0: Yeah, and uh, casting himself as, as Happy Hogan's yes. a fun little bit there. Uh, he really, honestly, I just am I'm impressed with him as a director. I, I, I don't know if we really saw. That coming, you know, uh, from his acting career, but it's it's been impressive. Yeah, um, he did a
1: phenomenal job.
0: So, so we got Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. Uh, she she's pretty great. Um, their their relationship in the comics is a little a little weirder. It's some kind of weird love triangle where where Tony, uh, you know kind of loves Pepper even though he has all these other women but you know he can't get close to her because no one knows about his uh, his condition with his shrapnel or his you know uh, identity as Iron Man and Pepper Potts is obviously in love with him and hates every other girl that's interested but Happy Hogan's in love with Pepper Potts and then you know eventually Pepper Potts starts dating Happy Hogan to get Tony jealous and it's just <laughs> a, a terrible terrible Trio that I never really enjoyed too much, so I'm glad they did not decide to reprise that um, in this adaptation. Yeah, that would not have
1: worked in the MCU.
0: Um, we got Terrence Howard as uh, Colonel James Rhodes.
1: One of the first instances of uh, recasting. Well, I guess Edward Norton, but uh, one of the sure. first times. And I, I actually did like Terrence Howard as as Rhodey, but uh, after having multiple movies with Don Cheadle as 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 Rhodes, it's. I can't picture, like, it's just, like, it's not the same. Like, I'm glad we have Don Cheadle. He's perfect. Um, yeah, I, I,
0: I really love the... Uh, uh, how do you get better than Don Cheadle? You just don't. So, uh, as, as much as I enjoyed Terrence Howard's uh, portrayal of Rhodes, I, I, I really dig Don Reed. Cheadle's. And apparently it was
1: Terrence Howard's, like, he was making, like, outlandish Al- Atl- demands, like, he was, like... And that's why they decided to, like, go on without, without him. He, but I really just think he should have stuck with it, like... If he, if he really wanted to, so that's why But Don Cheadle wanted to be part of it, he's been in every movie that they've asked him to be in, and he really they've really sold that relationship between Rhodey and uh, Tony, like, as just being besties, like, I get that, you know, when he goes down in Civil War and you, you see like Tony's rage and stuff, I mean, that's all been because they built this relationship over the course of, you know, three Iron Man movies a few Avenger movies, like, they've done a very, very good job of that
0: Absolutely, um So another big point in this movie is, uh, Tony's relationship with his father, uh, as we see in, you know, the scene when he gets back and he's doing the press release and he has, you know, his near-death experience and he's thinking, I, you know, I never got to, to, to say goodbye to my father, who's, uh, you know, important to him, even though they had a strained relationship, uh, so we start to see that, uh, um... Howard, so Howard passes in, in 1991, I think? Yeah. Uh, before Tony is 21, because later, when he turns 21, he comes back into the into the game here, uh, with um, and takes control of the company, uh, and starts working alongside uh, Obadiah Stain, played uh, expertly by Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you're not a huge Obadiah Stain fan, but damn, I love that character, and it's it's really important to the Tony Stark story. I kind of wish they touched on it a little more. Yeah, it's not um, that I
1: don't necessarily dislike him. It's just, it's hard to describe. Like, I, I think he works as a villain. It's just like, just compared to some of the other, I guess, MCU villains, which isn't fair when it's its own movie, I just feel like there's not a whole lot of depth there, but I do like, uh, you know, their relationship and, like, the Iron Monger, of course. Like, it's cool seeing all that, but, um, yeah. Just want to throw that in there.
0: Definitely. Um... What other, what other stuff do we see? Uh, so I got a, a fun little list here. Um, well,
1: we have Jarvis, The intro- our first uh, introduction to Jarvis.
0: Voiced by... Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, thank you, thank you. Um, this is another thing Cheryl was asking. She was like, do you think they had any idea where, you know, that they were going to do Vision when they cast Paul Bettany as as Jarvis's voice, and I honestly, have no idea. That's I think that's a really good question.
1: Well, I think it just came down to when they decided how they were going to make Ultron or not Ultron. Sorry, um, the Vision, um, and they had. I just I just think it made sense. Like, just you know, they already have like because Paul Bettany is like pretty well known, you know, good actor. Like he's done lots of other things, so I think it just kind of made sense to bring him rather than have someone else play it. But that is a good question she asked. I I don't know if they would have had that uh, all planned out at the time, but it'd be cool.
0: Um, And I assume you know uh, Jarvis's original incarnation from the comics?
1: Um, Like Jarvis, like, the computer, or Jarvis as in, like, uh, Howard's butler?
0: Um, yeah, as, as far as I know I don't know if this is a thing in the comics but like I don't think Jarvis was ever a computer I think they introduced that in this and I want to say that the comics started copying it afterwards I, I could be wrong but uh, at some point that was a new original idea they, they either went with or started um, but yeah originally Edwin Jarvis was the butler for the Avengers mansion and worked for, for Tony Stark there Interesting.
1: Uh, so they just did that with Agent Carter, just rather than have him being set in present time. They have him be Howard's Butler and work with Peggy.
0: Yeah, which is brilliant. So it yeah, clearly he's... gives the inspiration for uh, for naming the system. Uh, do you know? Do you know what Jarvis uh, stands for?
1: Uh, isn't it some random acronym that doesn't actually like it means something, but it's kind of a joke or something? Absolutely. What was I, I don't
0: know that I knew this before. I looked it up today. Uh, just a rather very intelligent system. <laughs> and that's just very Tony. Yes, that fits Tony really well. <laughs> um, they, they make a fun reference here, I didn't realize, which which kind of makes... It's, it's some great world building. Uh, they talk about how Howard Stark worked on the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. Which I found really interesting, um, just kind of tying him to real world events, but also, you know, making him active and, you know, stuff he would have done outside of the SSR. Um, and S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh... Also, uh, so we see Tony hooking up with uh, Christine Everhart from Vanity Fair. Yes, that's right. With his ridiculous pickup lines that are just impressive. Um,
1: Which which reminds me, you have to, um, because you're doing your MCU rewatch right now, um, when you get to about Civil War Ant-Man, they did, uh, have you heard of WHIH Newsfront, like the... I have, and I
0: was wondering when to watch that and where it would fit in because uh, it's some MCU stuff I haven't seen.
1: Yeah, it's part of the MCU. It's canon, and it's just fun. Like it's really short, but it's it's Christine Everhart doing uh, kind of reporting on, on what's going on. So uh, you watch, I think, the first one after Ant Man, and the second the second one after uh, Civil War. Sounds but I would recommend hard. checking that out for sure.
0: Definitely, um, interesting. They brought her back for that because uh, Christine Everhart is actually a reporter from the Daily Bugle in um, the comics. Oh, interesting. So, maybe they would bring her back and uh, tie her into some Spider-Man stuff, and you never know.
1: Ever show up in Homecoming 2? Well, I figure if they... That's one thing that the, I think the MCU is really neat with the news with the, They bring back characters who, uh, you know, like, they wouldn't have to. Christine Everhart was in these news front things almost 10 years after she was in Iron Man, and then you have... Um, uh, Ross from like Hulk who shows up in Civil War so that's one thing I think is kind of cool they bring back these characters they might not necessarily think of and put them in positions in the current movies
0: Absolutely, um, another fun little tidbit here uh, when he sees Christine Everhart later in the film um, forgets her name and goes mm, Carrie instead of Christine and he's obviously wrong uh, both are Stephen King novels
1: Oh, good Which call. Which is why he
0: made the mix-up.
1: That's, uh, that's uh, that is a good that uh, is a Easter egg. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I, I, I found that one online, actually. And we love sorry. ourselves some Stephen King, so... Who doesn't? that slipped through.
0: Um, and I had seen this before. Uh, there's a couple instances of the Iron Man ringtone. Um, sorry, the the Iron Man theme in uh, Rhodey's ringtone when Tony's calling him. Oh, yeah? Uh, that's throughout the movie. Um... When he's at the Apogee Awards, uh, a version of it is playing in the background. When it cuts to him uh, gambling at the casino, another version of it is, is playing. When he's you know, on his bed fiercely making out with Christine Everhart there, it's playing there as well. Um, and then I think the, the ringtone's the, the last instance of it. But they, they use the 1966 animated Iron Man series... Uh, Theme several points in the movie, which is just really clever. That is clever. Um, Another really an an inconsequential reference, but but kind of funny for the writing. Um, Pepper Potts comes downstairs, asks Tony Stark some you know whatever questions, and uh, says, uh, "We got an offer on this new uh, this new Jackson uh, Jackson Pollock painting." That, that we want to, you know, do you want to bid on or whatever, and he decides that he wants to get it, right? And uh, I don't know too much about him, but Jackson Pollock paintings are just splashes of 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 white or, or certain colors or whatever, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, Peter Quill references it yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy. When it, you like, turn, if, what does he yeah. say?
1: If you turn off the lights, it would look like a Jackson Pollock painting in here?
0: Yeah, if you put the blue light on or whatever. Blue light, then, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And Rocket goes, ah, oh, you're disgusting. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was funny. They made, they made, you know, like a Jackson Pollock joke later on in the MCU and then referenced one of his paintings in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, another weird thing that has never, ever popped up again as far as I know, when they're on the plane uh, and him and Rhodey are, are talking and Rhodey's trying to ream him out or whatever, uh, there's a stark coat of arms on the side of the plane. Oh, really? Yeah, which I had never noticed before so there's I never a, noticed there's that a, either, but it makes sense
1: a, I guess with the Star family being what they are
0: Yeah, so they got their own coat of arms, that's kind of cool um, Another fun fact too uh, When when him and Rhodey start drinking on the plane And you know, his uh, His flight attendants You know, have the the stripper poles going up And they're dancing around and stuff With their shirts and up a little bit uh, there's, there's music playing in the background And it's actually a Ghostface
1: killer song Oh, yeah, because he was originally supposed to have a, uh, a cameo in the movie, but it got cut.
0: Yeah, um, and, you know, hes I think his first debut album was called Iron Man. Um, he he calls himself, I think, Tony Starks sometimes, and he's, he's a huge fan of, uh, of, of Marvel in general and makes a lot of references in his music and stuff like that.
1: Which is cool. I like seeing artists like that uh, who do stuff like that. Yeah. Which is interesting.
0: I, I think, I think Wu Tang as, as a whole is like very somewhat nerdcore. Like you know, they were they they were all fans. Method Man has his uh, cameo in uh, uh, Luke Cage. Um, yeah, yeah that's I right. I, I think a lot of them dug Marvel comics.
1: RZA um, directed a. Uh... Episode, Iron Fist episode uh, Iron Fist Yeah which I mean It's a shame that he had to jump in for that But you could tell Like he did I think it was him who did The Man with the Iron Fist Like a Kung Fu movie Like I think he really likes uh, Like that's so I think he really dug The character of Iron Fist And then you know What should have been a good show Obviously became the Iron Fist But it was still kind of cool That he came on to direct an episode
0: Yeah absolutely um, And that episode Was one of my favorites it, it wasn't pulled off very well But like I really appreciated What he was trying to do with it um, Yeah that's dug it Uh what other stuff did I pick up on? Cool. Um, right at the beginning, what he's getting in the Humvee there, mm-hmm. uh, he, he calls and FaceTimes uh, Obadiah and is like, Oh, why didn't you know, why aren't you wearing those PJs? I got you. Oh, I made the sale. Okay, like, good night. <laughs> and it's knowing what we know about Stain, it's very much that, you know, he wanted Tony to do that because he wanted to be like, Now I know you've made the sale. Now I know you're getting in this. Vehicle and now I know I can get these guys to ambush you and hopefully kill you.
1: That's true because he he wanted he wanted everything that Tony had.
0: Yeah, so then we see uh, him get kidnapped by the Ten Rings.
1: Who? This is not their first and only appearance in the MCU. Nope, they are a uh,
0: a terrorist group, um, but. In, in Iron Man 3 we see you know it's ties to the Mandarin and the interesting thing about this is that Ten Rings isn't supposed to be a group and it was the way they portrayed it in this which you know is an interesting choice but the Ten Rings are literal rings uh, I think they're makluin power rings that the the Mandarin wears on all of his fingers and they give him different powers and abilities and stuff like that um, and he's like the top Iron Man villain really um so we have the leader of the ten rings I don't remember his name but he's the dude that gets you know burn on the side of his face Yeah. Um, he has a physical ring on his middle finger I think that he touches several times in the movie which I thought was interesting and also that stain has a a pretty sizable ring on his pinky that's in every scene I think in some of the scenes he's got other rings that don't really appear much again but, and I, I haven't read anything about this, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe they were kind of, you know, before they did the whole Ben Kingsley Mandarin thing, they were really thinking, and I, keep in mind, I haven't seen Hail to the King, so I don't want to speak to that yet, because I've, I've heard about it. Um, and I know there's something there about the Mandarin, but uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. But I was like, maybe they're trying to, you know, like kind of like the red skull getting sucked, in, sucked into the tesseract they're trying to keep a backdoor so like they could potentially have physical rings and you know maybe the 10 rings is a terrorist group but everyone's got a ring and and you know cuz later on in some of the comics that's you know people are trying to buy to be the mandarin and the, you know different all it takes is one ring to give yourself
1: powers enough to be a villain right so interesting that could be Thought I thought that I, was an interesting thing. I think they would only do that in another Iron Man movie, though, and I have a feeling that we're done with Iron Man movies now. I have a feeling with the trilogy, I think that was the end of Iron Man solo movies.
0: Totally. But but who knows, uh, you know, if John Favreau had stayed on for Iron Man 3, maybe that would have been something he would have explored. Maybe they were trying to keep it open and it never sure. panned out, kind of like the Red Skull.
1: That's true. Um... Yeah, we have so, Tony in the cave, and this is where he meets our boy Yinsen. Poor, yeah. poor, sweet Yinsen, just uh, a great guy. Him and Tony working like old pals, and doesn't end too well for him.
0: Poor Yinsen, no, uh, doesn't doesn't end super well. Um, so that happens, and then he
1: and Yinsen build the
0: Mark One.
1: That beautiful, beautiful thing, which I believe you showed me was it wasn't that on the cover of Iron Man One or on one of the early covers? Is that actually him with that? Or that—that's what used to use was that big mega suit. Yeah, so
0: it's uh, um, tales of suspense. I want to say sixty-six or something like that, because he got his own you know stories and tales of suspense there for a long time. Uh, it was a giant thick suit. Uh, looked very similar to that, and it was silver. Um, in later. Issues they made it gold, which is we see a little nod to later on when he gets the Mark II and tries to paint it just gold, and then he goes a little ostentatious, don't you think? Mm. So the fact that he almost had a gold suit is another nod to him having a straight gold suit for a while there. Oh, um, that's cool. So yeah, the Mark ones, you know, built built in a cave
1: with a pile of scraps, <laughs> as he says. <laughs> well, that's what's um, cool seeing. Uh, we're so used to seeing, you know, well, this is the first movie, so we had seen it at that point, but we're always used to seeing Tony working with, like, you know, a full state of the art lab with, like, the craziest technology. And this is just Tony relying on, like, his wits and, like, you know, just basic technology. To, and he still builds this thing that no one today could build. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the,
0: the Arc Reactor miniaturized one. Um, Mark one's pretty great. Uh, he escapes, um, leaves the remains in the desert and the Ten Rings picks it up for Obadiah and it ends up being the prototype that leads to the Ironmonger. Mm -hmm. Um, When he gets rescued by the helicopter, I thought it was really interesting that Rhodey is in that helicopter. So for however long he had been imprisoned in that cave, Rhodey had physically been out searching for him the entire time. It's not like they were like, oh, we found him, call Rhodey, and he was there immediately. He was the first person to touch down. So, like... He been he's been looking for his buddy the whole time.
1: He's the ultimate bro. He's he's not. He's never going to leave Tony. He's like no matter what. That's why he's such a good character. He's like, he's always. They, they both
0: have each other's back all the time. Absolutely. That's like the crux of of his character, which I, I think is really interesting. Um, he gets back. He does his press conference. He decides he's not going to make weapons anymore. And I found it interesting that when he does that, you know, the one reporter asks like what what happened out there, and he goes, "Well, I saw, you know." good men get killed with the weapons that I had helped build. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of really the turning point for Tony. But the most interesting thing is at no point does he say, and this might be for secrecy maybe because he doesn't want to talk about his miniaturized dark reactor, <laughs> but it should be noted that he doesn't say, you know, I have shrapnel in my heart, or one of these weapons blew up on me, or, you know, I made weapons and this is what happened to me. His first thought is that, you know men and women died because of my weapons so and that really defines his character all the way up through civil war where he is constantly fighting against the guilt of his legacy whether it be as you know a weapons manufacturing company or as an avenger
1: exactly even like an ultron like ultron was you know he didn't mean to but ultron was wouldn't have existed were it not for him so in a sense which is what they do in civil war in a sense every death that ultron caused was inadvertently caused by him, whether he meant to or not. Like, and that's something they did a great job with him dealing with the weight of in the Civil War, and that all starts right here in the, in the first movie. Absolutely,
0: and it's it's important that you know he he's a genius. Tony Stark's a futurist, so during the whole Ultron debacle, he's trying to find a way to to fix it and to make it better, and not just quit when the, you know the going gets tough or he's made a mistake. And also that Tony Stark has a bit of a god complex. Um, yeah which I've I've seen touched on in comics when he, you know, meets literal gods. He's not a man of faith, he's a man of science, but he, he has a god complex and he's always trying to take on everything he can and you know, when he gets his Iron Man suit going, it's, you know, it's it's about the next mission, it's about, you know, making things right and fixing what
1: he's done. Exactly. Plus the whole world's watching. Everyone in the in the MCU universe would know who all these Avengers are, right? Like if we all of a sudden had this Aliens invade, and these group of you know people superheroes like stood up to defend us. Everyone in the world would know who they are. So now he has to deal with uh, that on a public level too, like having his everything he does analyzed and and and, you know what's his fault, what's not, and that's very interesting. Absolutely. Uh,
0: During the press conference, we obviously see Phil Coulson and asking for uh, you know a meeting with with Mister Stark to debrief him. Um, And I find it really interesting that. It's, it's a funny bit of writing, but like it's the, the what, the strategic homeland intervention uh
1: in something logistics
0: division yeah, I know in the comics it's espionage, but I don't know if it's if it's that in, in the MCU um, but they have this name that very clearly spells out an acronym for SHIELD and it's not until the events of Iron Man 1 where he starts going just call it SHIELD so, uh, what name did they change from the SSR and become Shield, but never had the name for Shield? Interesting. You know, is it not until 2008 that they finally get the name Shield?
1: Have they not been going for Shield for long? Like that's no, I they've been going. Their reference is Shield and Ant Man, and the, I think they've been. I think they. I think they turned into Shield at the end of the Agent Carter short. I think is when they turn into Shield, and that's the Agent Carter short is set after the series. So no, I think they've been Shield for a very long time. I think they just. Did, did that for more of the audience's sake, like, when you're sitting there, like, yeah. doing strategic homeland intervention, enforcement, and logistics division, and you're going, what? And then when they said, call a shield, you're like, oh, I see.
0: Yeah, would totally, which from a writing standpoint, you know, makes sense and is clever, but then in in the overall continuity, when Colson goes, you know, like, yeah, we need a shorter name, we're working on it, like, that, that doesn't really make sense with it, which I thought was an interesting thing it's, it's like a little bit of they wrote themselves into a corner probably just
1: a bit of a goof because they even though iron man like, that's what they, i think they knew they were doing the mc like they had an idea they still didn't really know how everything was gonna go they, they would not have had everything planned out like they were trying to do individual movies that bring them together and it worked but that was like the mcu is an experiment essentially there's never been anything like that like it before where they have you know Absolutely. hulk showing up in a thor movie or you know hawkeye showing up in an ant-man movie like it's just that that stuff doesn't happen like but this is what allowed that to happen I think that was just early on when they were you know didn't really know so was, I, I think it was just a little goof that they, they kind of
0: so, and I mean the, the after the credit scene that sparked the MCU was an afterthought um, and a cool thing they added in and kind of sparked it so like totally that scene would have been written without any idea of that um, but it is kind of funny they haven't really ever figured out a way to fix that or, or retcon that or make it make sense so yeah, yeah. When, when you have a little bit of a goof and there's nothing you can do about it it's, it's a little unfortunate
1: yeah there, there's nothing they can do like imagine they referenced it in like Infinity War They remember when Coulson said that uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't have a name like it, it is one of those things better left alone than them trying to explain it yeah yeah um, but uh, before we go on I do want to say Coulson we, we both love Coulson he's an awesome character and it's, it's very cool seeing I, I miss him in the movies. it's very cool seeing him romance and you know Work with uh, work with Iron Man and like they, just the banjo they have in his character. It's good, Absolutely. good introduction to Coulson in terms of Shield.
0: Worthy of star of starring is in his own his own TV show for sure. <laughs> um, I, I really like uh, how villains get names in in the movies. Um, people have a lot of different views on that. The Red Skull is literally called the Red Skull, and in this. They never actually call the Ironmonger the Ironmonger, but there is that scene where they're in front of the arc reactor, and Obadiah says, "Like Tony, we're Ironmongers. It's what we do." And just little stuff like that I like because it's like we—if you're a comic fan, you might know that that guy's Ironmonger, but they don't have to like hit you over the head with it and be like, "This is Ironmonger," which really is just a, like, why would a businessman need to name himself? He's—he's he's just doing this to kill Tony and take over the company,
1: you know. Yeah, I find that they do that a lot of Marvel movies, which I like. Like they don't, I like, say the name like um, Kilgrave and Jessica Jones. You know, he's like the Purple Man, but yeah, they never once call him that, even though he's dressed in purple. And like, they never actually call him the Purple Man, like that's you know things like that. Like because sometimes you know it works, and sometimes I, I like that. Yeah,
0: um, another Easter egg that I wasn't familiar with because I haven't read this much stuff. Uh, at some point, Obadiah. I think he's watching TV, I think he's watching Rhodey on TV, and there's a chess set next to him. Apparently this is like a little easter egg because uh, he has a group of villains called the Chessmen. I think, that he sends after Iron Man in the comics. Mm-hmm. So that that's a little easter egg to that, oh, nice. I found out. Um, there's quite a few easter eggs in this one. Uh, fin Fang Foom which is a massive uh, dragon creature that I believe a Fantastic Four fight a lot. He's in, he's in I think, like the first level of uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. He's on a movie poster in one scene on the side of a building when Tony's flying past and almost hits that car or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, they use sound effects from Space Invaders when his uh, HUD there is locking on to the kid in the Ferris wheel and stuff. Little things like that. That's cool. Little things like that um another really interesting thing when when uh obadiah comes in and visits tony from new york uh and brings pizza um which is rays pizza i remember uh my brother uh rich was actually talking about when he went to new york he had rays pizza oh nice so i, I watched that with him and he's like i've had that pizza and i'm like that's funny <laughs> um He's playing piano, and he's playing a piece by uh, Salieri. And Salieri was known for being uh, having a strained relationship with Mozart. And a lot of people say that Salieri actually murdered Mozart. So, like, subtle foreshadowing there. He's playing a tune by Salieri, who potentially murdered Mozart. And we know later on that he's trying to kill Tony, and has tried to kill Tony. See those thematic thematic things you might not necessarily pick up on. That's that's really clever. Absolutely. Um, what else do we got? I, I actually didn't notice this one too because obviously you know it in Iron Man Two, but when he's working in his lab, you see his prototype for the Captain America shield. Yeah. In the background of his workshop, and I had no idea that was in there either.
1: Nice little touch, because even at that point, Captain America was like three years away from being made, so yeah. it's kind of cool. They, 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 I think they realized like Marvel and finally started to put together like this could actually work and look at how right they were you know the Avengers movies are some of the highest grossing movies of all time and it's because like people like to turn up and see these well cast characters like reprise their roles and like it's it's really fun it's cool building a cohesive universe
0: absolutely I would love to see uh, the story behind that prototype because like we know Cap has his own shield from way back in the day. It's the vibranium one, right? So, what happened to this prototype shield? What was it made of?
1: What happened to it? Is it around anywhere? That's a good question. I wonder. If maybe Cap uses it like a backup shield, perhaps. Because I, I know they say that they used all the vibranium, but I feel like that can't be right. Like I imagine vibranium is still. Because don't they reference it in Ultron? And like I think it's gonna be part of Black Panther too. Is like
0: they. Black... They used all the vibranium that the U.S. government had. Yeah, so there's everything so lots that of had came about them. out of out of Wakanda, um, Ulysses Claw stole some. That became Ultron's body, um, and then whether more comes out of Wakanda or not is a is a thing. But it's their resource, and they try and keep it really isolated within their country. True. Um,
1: what else do we got? Uh, where are we? Uh, where are we story-wise right now? We we got back from, he, he's back from uh, Afghanistan. He's spoken with Christine Everhart. He's, has he revealed his identity to Rhodey yet?
0: No. So so we got, so he builds the Mark II, which is the, the silver, uh, version of it or whatever, and mm-hmm. he flies that. That goes well. So that's that's just the Mark II. And then the Mark Three. Um, I, I I thought he just kind of painted the Mark Two, and always wondered why there were different marks. But he doesn't. He uh, when he's getting Jarvis to build it, he's he's mocking it up, and then he's like, okay, I want it made from a you know some kind of titanium alloy. Um, and he so he says, build the material and then paint it gold, and then you know that's the nod to his gold suit. And then he says, "Throw some hot rod red in there." And then it says, "Okay, like mock-up done. It's the Mark III version two, because uh, version one would have been the gold one." Um, and then it, you know, it's saying it'll take five hours to create because, like, he's got advanced technology. Obviously, it doesn't take five hours to paint his his Mark II. So that's literally creating the Mark III. So the Mark III would be made of sterner stuff than the Mark II was. Mm. Um. So yeah, then he he takes the Mark III for a test run when he finds out that uh, um, Stains, you know, got the board trying to to get him uh, thrown out and stuff, and that they're double dealing and selling weapons to people in, under the table in Golmira, and Golmira is the town Yinsen is from, which I thought was a you know nice nod when kinda, yeah. Kicks in there, so he goes there, takes out some people, blows up his weapons, flies back, and then uh, and then he gets picked up by some fighter jets there. And uh, another neat little uh, Easter egg: uh, the fighter jets their their call signs are Whiplash One and Whiplash Two.
1: Oh, so in reference to uh, a future Iron Man villain, perhaps to show up in the
0: movies? Absolutely. Um, and then yeah, that's when Tony, uh, calls Rhodey, and you know he finds out that he's uh he's in
1: this suit. And Rhodey's the first person he reveals his identity to, you, right? Like he doesn't tell anyone else first. I believe so. Yeah. Which makes sense. I like that he tells, and because he knows Rhodey won't, wouldn't screw him over.
0: And he wants to tell him earlier, um, but Rhodey's kind of like, get your head straight get your shit figured out. And then he's like, all right, never mind. And then, you know, that happens. And he's like, no, I did want to tell you. And then, yeah, Pepper finds out and and all that stuff. Um, any any other points there uh, you wanted to talk about?
1: No, no, I think we, I think he covered all that. Yeah, so he's back and he knows uh, Stain has screwed him over, of course. And uh, they're getting ready to, to do battle.
0: Um... The, the adaptation isn't really worth talking about because it's mostly like the first Avengers one, but there are two distinct differences that they add in the adaptation. One is that uh, when they're like, oh, this there's some kind of you know, suit here or something, and it must be unmanned because it's so small, and they're like, holy crap, it looks like a man. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. actually picks up on that in the comics, and you see Nick Fury talking to Agent Jasper Sitwell... And they're detecting uh, Iron Man's suit, but have no idea what it is. And they're like, the, you know, the power readings are off the charts, and it's, like, so small that it's got to be an unmanned aircraft of some sort, like a really small one. Um, so you see them at two instances during the the adaptation that kind of ties them into the story, which is interesting.
1: That's cool, yeah, because you see some of the agents, like, like sit well... Uh, you know, we obviously find out he's Hydra later, but he... Uh, yeah. Seeing him, like, seeing, seeing the agents outside of Coulson is kind of neat too I I like that
0: absolutely Um, so yeah he talks to Pepper who's not into him doing this but then he kind of explains why and uh, gets her to you know um, to uh, look into his computer or whatever about the stuff and and find you know all these files on Obadiah and you know realizes Obadiah is going against him and she finds out he was trying to kill him and she looks through his files and at some point when she's looking through the files, and I couldn't really figure out when, but there's some kind of ship that, that sent out the files uh, and the ship's called, or, or the the plane maybe is called the uh, MSC Lebowski.
1: Oh, are you serious?
0: And apparently they have some like reference or quote or something from the, the big Lebowski and do a little further to, <laughs> to Jeff Bridges stuff. Um, and they find the hidden, the ghost driver or whatever is hidden in some sector Sector 16, which is where the Ironmonger suit's being made. And I don't know the significance of this number, but I feel like when I start reading some Iron Man stuff, it, there there might be a thing. Maybe 16's just a random number, you know? Like, it was, uh, I can't think of anything that happened. Maybe issue 16 of Iron Man, something happens having to do with Stain. Who knows? Maybe it was a random number they threw in there, but I feel like there might be some reason for it. Hmm. Um, and then yeah, so she gets, uh, uh, Phil and stuff, and they go on a little meeting and try and figure out this stuff. And you actually see a shield logo in the background at some point when she's following Coulson around, which I thought was interesting. Like, because you you might not recognize the uh, the acronym, but when you see that giant that giant falcon, you know, eagle or whatever on the the logo, people would definitely yeah pick up turn some heads.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So then you got the fight between the Mark Three. Uh, and the Ironmonger. Um, Which is a fight scene I
1: do like. I do like seeing uh, I like when they so go up against each other and just, you know, uh, the Ironmonger, like how much bigger he is, and just like the, I don't know, the contrast. I think it's a pretty well done fight scene.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's funny because they see uh, the Mark One in Sector 16, and she goes, oh, I thought it would be bigger. And then you see the the, the modified Mark One, the Ironmonger <laughs> behind it. It's massive, um, and it's powered by Tony's arc reactor that he, you know, made... Once he came back stateside, um, and it's powering that massive thing, uh, which is crazy. And he has to fight it, which I never really picked up on this. He just kind of, you know, they, it's, it's easy for viewers. They're they're you know, you know, his power's running out, but you might not be asking the questions why, but like he's using the arc reactor he built with the and, you know, like he said, when he built it, he's like, Oh, this could power your heart for 50 lifetimes. And then Tony goes, or something really big for 15 minutes and the Mark 1 is is bigger but it's way less you know gadgets and fun stuff on it so putting that into his Mark 3 and trying to run off the power for that and finish a fight is like it just shows he's working at a real disadvantage here and fighting against a guy in bigger armor and you know he still comes out on top yeah
1: that's like uh, such.
0: during during the fight you see Roxxon Corporation in the background which ties into the MCU a bit
1: Rockson's all over the place in the MCU. They make well, not all over the place, but they make quite a few. Uh, I remember they show up in. I don't know if you got there yet, but they do. There is an appearance by them in Agent Carter and uh, a few other places they've shown up. that I can't remember right now.
0: Yeah, I think I remember them in Agent Carter. Uh, they're 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 littered throughout mostly the shows and stuff. I think, and I think there's a couple references in the movies. But yeah, and they're they're behind the scenes. One of those companies you find uh, a lot of stuff about in the in the comics. Um, I think in the comics they're actually responsible for Tony's parents' deaths um there they're gruesome oh. if you have if you ever get around to reading uh uh the Jason Aaron's run on Thor uh Dario Egger the Roxxon CEO is one bad mother father, he is <laughs> he's a dope villain um so yeah having Roxxon in the background another little easter egg um great great fight scene really like it uh sad to see Ob- obadiah go uh i hope he's got a a bastard running around somewhere because uh, i know there's a a bunch of crazy stain stuff that happens in the comics with you know his son and 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 different people um it'd be nice to see that come back if they ever do any other iron man stuff in the future
1: so yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens after uh infinity war and in sequel like i I think I'm on the side that they're probably gonna do some sort of soft reboot, like, um, like That's I talked about, man. yeah, like, like just, just like it's just, it's just even little things, like watching the Infinity War trailer. I realized that you know it looks like New York's about to get messed up, and then when you have like five or six Netflix shows set in New York, and I think it's eventually just gonna get to that point where they're probably gonna do a soft reboot, and then maybe rework, like do do Iron Man, um, but rework the concept, have a new actor or actress play uh, play the character, and maybe feel like. Toy around with all these ideas that they they had, like maybe they will include Stained Sun, or maybe they will do the Ten Rings, like like you believed. So that's that's what's cool.
0: Um, definitely, uh, another thing I think important to touch on is that this whole movie takes place in L.A., whereas Captain America, you know, takes place obviously, uh, you know, the, the the British front there uh, in, in Europe, um, but otherwise in Brooklyn. Um, so New York is super important to the story, but for Iron Man one. It takes place in LA and mm-hmm. that'll touch be touched on in later in later uh, sequels. Um, so he does the press release. Shield tells him what to say, this, this and that. Um, saying that Iron Man is his bodyguard is the original story plot that Iron Man is a bodyguard for Stark Industries and that who would think that billionaire, Playboy, f- philanthropist, Tony Stark, uh, would actually be under that suit, um, so the fact that they went with that is, you know, what everyone expected to happen. And then when he says, "I am Iron Man," it is not at all what people were expecting to hear next. No, um, well,
1: I was I was floored by that. I feel like it's one of the greatest moments in the MCU when he drops that because it's just like I, I most superheroes and it works in most superheroes dealing with the idea of being, you know, a secret identity and not letting everyone know but I also like sometimes when they do it like this where are just like, fuck it, I'm, I'm Iron Man like, absolutely. deal with it. like, it you makes sense, because tired. like, how long would the would the bodyguard story have hold, held up and, you know, it's just I, I, I'm glad they went this route
0: absolutely um, couple other easter eggs when it's on TV, the the fight between Iron Man and Iron Monger and stuff uh, I was meticulously reading the news story in the background, I was sure there was going to be some kind of easter egg there And they're talking about cleaning up the the fight on the... uh, I think it's actually called the Howard Stark Memorial Freeway or something.
1: Oh, yeah?
0: Uh, Which is a funny little Easter egg there. But they also talk about how they're trying to clean it up, so they're getting in touch with uh, damage control officials.
1: Oh, interesting. Which technically would, I think, be a continuity error, because in Homecoming, don't they say that uh, damage control is tony stark but they did that in response to like all the attacks i i can't quite remember
0: yeah yeah that's a good point i never thought about that because but again
1: that's just another thing they were doing a movie they were doing one movie and they had no idea what was to come so they, said, oh, yeah. they got some of that oh that's on a damage control like reference
0: also i don't know if this is in, endured in a lawsuit or not but they had uh issues with a paparazzi snooping around the uh the set taking pictures which is super worrying because they snuck Samuel L. Jackson on on set to do the the after the credit scene and I think maybe three people knew about it so uh, having a paparazzi was something they were super worried about I don't know if they took legal action or not but he took a picture of the Iron Man suit on set from behind a fence Um, and then when Tony Stark is reading the newspaper they actually used the picture he took for the newspaper cover, oh really? <laughs> which is a fun little factoid there. Um, uh, yeah, anything else before you? We talk about the Stanley cameo and then the uh, end of credit scene.
1: Uh, I think we need to give a shout out to the greatest character in the MCU, uh, and that would be Dummy, the uh, his robotic arm. That uh, always, I was
0: going to say, <laughs> yeah. Dummy
1: is my favorite. Just like the like how he's like being in it. In it. Like I think he even shows up in. Uh, in Homecoming too just how like Tony just how Tony's always berating the poor guy and he's actually super helpful I think that's uh, we'd be remiss to to talk about this movie and not give a shout out to Dummy Um,
0: yeah there's another uh, speaking of Homecoming actually someone did a uh, a thing where they're like Tony Stark is a terrible mentor uh, and it was like a Reddit post and someone had Tony cruising in his Iron Man suit or whatever and then Rhodes like wait are you are you driving right like why can i hear noise and stuff are you driving he's like oh yeah i'm just driving uh down the the beach uh going you know i'm jogging he's like wait i thought you said you were driving not jogging he's like yeah i'm driving for my jog and he's like lying while he's in uh in the suit to rody and then there's a uh a scene where he's talking to uh a peter and he's like wait where are you where are you right now and he's like i'm uh yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, and he makes up some excuse saying where he is while he's lying to him. So there's like the parallels for Peter being just like how Tony Stark was to Rhodey, neat. which I thought was neat. Um, yeah, so definitely uh, how how Dummy comes through at the last minute and you know reaches for the for his uh, um miniaturized arc reactor there and saves him from death is uh, is a great story, especially right? how many like. Jokes he has throughout the thing. Uh, Dummy should be an Avenger. Like he should be
1: made in, like an, an official Avenger. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Um, or he should be like replicated for every single fake arm that everyone in the MCU needs, from you know Winter Soldier to Misty
1: Knight. As I say, every, it's, it's a very common request in the uh, the MCU to need need an arm. So that that's fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um... And then, yeah, end of the credit scene. We we see Nick Fury played as by Samuel L. Jackson in the surprise uh, credit scene, which we actually missed because staying after the credits obviously wasn't a thing for the the first movie.
1: There, um, yeah, who the hell stays after the credits in two thousand eight before it was like you know recommended? Like there was no way that you would know. Like oh, we have to wait to the end of the credits, which is why it's kind of clever.
0: I remember watching it on YouTube and then texting you and being like, dude we missed this fucking... We missed this scene. Ah, I wish we stayed! And we had to look it up in like crappy you know, cam quality, right? And I'm like, damn it. It wasn't until it came out on DVD that I could watch it again and be like, oh, now I really see what's going on. Um, in the Iron Man uh, adaptation, they actually continue that conversation instead of just ending on the... I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers initiative, and Tony kind of gives uh, Nick Fury the the no way I'm not into this I don't need you get the hell out of my house kind of thing and it's uh (laughs) it's a neat little extra seeing where that conversation went and seeing why in Iron Man 2 there you know he brought up the Avengers initiative but nothing ever happened with it true so I thought that was an interesting uh parallel yeah um and I think that's everything uh Oh yeah, and then so so yeah, we have Fury. Sit well, he rejects Fury, and then right after that, Fury uh, makes a call, and he's like, "All right, call in Black Widow. I've got a job for her." So that's why uh, Natasha Romanov pops up in Iron Man Two.
1: Oh, okay, so did that a little bit more, yeah, because all these little, yeah, because Romanov she comes in in Iron Man Two, and Coulson's back and. Fury, and then they're really, like, that's when you start to get the idea that they're really trying to push towards the Avengers. Like, this is more just, like, a little kind of fun cameo. But it's possible, like, if this movie hadn't made that much money, or, like, that could have just been the end of it, you know? could have just be like, a fun little after-credit scene and that would have been the end of it. But, of course, it became the MCU.
0: Absolutely. So, so that's Iron Man. Uh, next week, we will be talking about Iron Man 2 Public Identity, the comic. Uh, Which talks about, from what I understand, uh, him saying, "I am Iron Man," and how he deals with that. And then Iron Man: Agents of Shield, which was three separate mini comics about Black Widow, Nick Fury, and Phil Coulson. Um, And then I'm going to be reading the adaptation for Iron Man Two, and we'll talk about Iron Man Two, which uh, I find interesting that that we're talking about how John Favreau, you know, like, without really realizing, it started the MCU because, you know, Kevin Feige just kind of out of nowhere was like, that'd be cool if we did this, and then it happens. But (laughs) Iron Man 2 was him really making up for it and trying to integrate it into the MCU as much as possible, which a lot of people didn't like, and I really dug. I think Iron Man 2 was a super underrated movie, and I'm a huge fan. And, you know, Josh Whedon has really been given a lot of flack by his ex-wife there for his... uh, His unfaithfulness and adultery as a husband, but I think the worst thing Joss Whedon ever did was was trash talk Iron Man 2 when he was still directing MCU movies, so (laughs) shame on you, Joss.
1: Well, that should be an interesting discussion because we both have very different opinions on Iron Man Well, I like Iron Man 2, but you love it, so we'll have some interesting discussions there, I imagine. Well, at least I've come down from saying Iron Man 2 is a five-star movie. Progress. Baby steps. But...
0: I don't know how much more I'm going to go down after that. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Iron Man. Fantastic stuff. So, yeah, next week we just got Iron Man 2 stuff. And uh, we will hopefully start the real recording of uh, once a week, and I'll figure out how to put this podcast online and edit it and all that fun stuff. Boom. All right, until next week.
1: Until next week. Peace out, Marvelites.